Hello, welcome to Sounds from the Shadows. I am Emily Collins. I'm Shannon Nilan. And we're joined by a very special guest, founding shadow girl, Shakespeare scholar, Miss Kate Bauer. Woo! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so we're a podcast where the shadow girls get together, talk about stories, storytelling and just stuff. And as you might have gathered from our introduction of Kate, today we're going to be talking about Shakespeare. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We're talking about uh, particularly Shakespeare and fairies. Mm-hmm. Excellent. We yes. talk about fairies a lot, but mm-hmm. now we're talking about Shakespearean fairies. <laughs> so high class fairies. Mm. Well, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that. Mm. So Shakespeare fairies, first thing that comes to mind is Midsummer Night's Dream. But were there, were there fairies before Shakespeare? I suppose like there there was a lot of mythology around the time of like the medieval times. Uh, they kind of saw fairies as probably more evil sort of tricksters, sort of the way like not the kind of like cute Barbie doll fairies that we'd like <laughs> now. You know, like there wasn't any kind yeah, of similar with the Irish fairies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, like these fairies will get you. Like you know, you yeah. better not mess with these fairies. And I suppose going into more early modern period where Shakespeare was around was probably. Like Edmund Spencer was kind of the the top dog poet of the time, and he wrote this poem or basically this ode called the Fairy Queen. So that was probably around sort of the fifteen hundreds. So that was probably to Queen Elizabeth. I went to a talk by Caitlin Cullerton, and she was talking about fairies in early modern drama. Mm-hmm. But she mentioned how the Fairy Queen, though it is often seen as this sort of ode and praise to mm-hmm. Elizabeth, because fairies were. A little bit sexually dubious, mm, yeah. particularly fairy queens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they had a, they tended to have a lot of mortal lovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fair play. And Queen Elizabeth was known as the Virgin Queen. This was a little bit of a, a sort of tongue in cheek. And also, fairies have difficulty conceiving, which is why they often take mortal lovers. And Elizabeth famously didn't have children, so mm. this was sort of a that we know of. Ooh, it's <laughs> um, also interesting. Um, kind of jumping ahead a little bit and then we're going to jump back but mm-hmm. this is like a side note yeah um think of midsummer night's dream and the case of the indian boy yeah mm, yes. if you take that kind of as maybe oberon and titania couldn't mm. have a child yeah. of their own yeah. and then this that kind of raises the stakes of her having this child yeah. and, and their expectations of him mm. yeah. and it's kind of like they want different things from the child mm-hmm. so it's kind of is that sort of push and pull of what they both need the little Indian changeling child for. Mm-hmm. So, Tiger Shakespeare- parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so before Shakespeare, there were fairies, and yeah. fairies were known as being strange, supernatural things, mm. also arbiters of sort of local justice or yeah. natural justice. They rewarded mm. the good, they punished the bad, yeah. but also sexually ambiguous beings. Yeah. Mm. And they kind of... they had their own realms. So I suppose we'll talk later about Midsummer's and the fact that they had their own fairy realms. So certain areas like mm-hmm. forests and, you know, like certain liminal times of, spaces. Yeah. yeah. So certain yeah. times of day or night were kind of known as like fairy time. So they, they were kind of just areas where you, you people knew not to mess with. Yeah. So it was like, oh, you're an idiot if you're like, go out in a full moon or, you know, it's kind of yeah. little, little things like that. It's like, just common knowledge. Like, come on, yeah. mate. Like, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So Shakespeare's big fairy thing is Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who sort of hasn't read or seen it, would you give us a brief summary of what's Midsummer Night's Dream about? Well, Midsummer Night's Dream um, takes place on the eve of a wedding celebration. Um, on Midsummer. Mm-hmm. And there's several different threads to the story. <laughs> um, you have 
one thread and it's following four lovers who um get lost in the woods. They get lost mm. in the woods trying to elope and there's mistaken identities. And mistaken mm. identities and magic spells where they fall in love with the wrong people and then there's another thread that is the root mechanicals who Best. are um a group of um hardy working class men uh who are rehearsing a play for that, the wedding for the wedding yeah. celebration of Theseus and Hippolyta and it's a which is basically they, Romeo do, and Juliet and they're doing a really bad job of it <laughs> yeah and then they get put under spells um etc and all these spells come from the fairies because the fairy mm. world is the forest yeah and it's also yeah. the fairy world has been turned upside down there is a discord in the fairy world yes yeah. because of the final thread take it away Emily <laughs> Oberon and Titania's custody battle woo <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Oberon and Titania are the king and queen of the fairies, or the king and queen of the fairies in this particular realm. Mm-hmm. And they are not getting on at the moment. Really not. No, it's like, it's not known as this the first time they've had a bit of a spat, but when mm. they have a spat, the natural order starts to fall apart mm-hmm. and the realms get too close, magic starts going around the yeah. foot, and it's all about who gets possession of a little changeling boy. Mm. Which I found really interesting, the concept of, like, the two of them having a fight affecting this whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Like, when there's, like, fairies that belong to Oberon or Titania, but they kind of pick sides during yeah. this fight. So, like, when Puck... Actually, we don't see Oberon and Titania as the first fairy examples. We actually see a fairy, like, a random... Like, you know, generic yeah. generic fairy. And then we Just see them kind of having Puck. a banter yeah. with Puck going, like... um. Uh, she she's coming here. He better yeah. not be around it's like, here. It's like yeah. be careful. He comes not within this realm, and it's the concept <laughs> yeah. of like the fairies. Like, hey, I know you. You are that. And then Puck's like, yes, I am that merry spirit of the night. So already we're getting classifications of fairies yeah. coming in. So uh, the whole fight is that basically Titania was sort of left a child, <laughs> yeah, a, a votress of her order, so mm. sort of someone who subscribed to her fairy beliefs but was mortal had a child died and sort of left Titania as the guardian of the yeah. child mm-hmm. and Titania is going well I have to look after this kid mm. yeah. and Oberon is like ooh a child <laughs> I can do things with that I can make him into a henchman yeah yeah. and she's kind of sad because she's like she has this whole beautiful speech where she's like she, her mother was a votress of my order in the spiced yeah. Indian airs by night. You know, nightly we had this conference and they, with they, they, like, had this, like, beautiful kind of friendship. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's actually, it's a really lovely example of female friendship mm. and w- without discord and without... Um, actually, for the Shakespeare anniversary, uh, the BBC did a really lovely film version, direct, done by a lot of people who worked oh. on Doctor Who, mm-hmm. of Midsummer. And they really play up the thing of Titania and female friendship. And oh. in the end, they fix the Titania problem. <laughs> Yay! Titania runs off with Hippolyta. Oh, I mean, nice. perfect. Which <laughs> is so interesting because in a lot of productions, they have uh, them played by the same actor. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of like, so you have for yourself. You have the bickering couple and then you have the the couple who are about to get wed. Mm. Which is also, sorry, this is totally side noted, but like the whole thing of Theseus and Hippolyta, it's like the whole thing is about, it's their Oh wedding. yeah, that's completely when, like, doomed. When like, yeah. Theseus is like, I woo thee with my sword and Hippolyta's kind of like, okay, like let's get married. She's like this badass Amazonian woman and it's just like so annoying. Sorry, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Watch that BBC version yeah. of it, you'll like it. I will. Because she definitely. basically has no choice in marrying oh, no. him and 
then, like, eventually, if anyone knows the, the story of Theseus, he, he runs off with some other one. <laughs> Ariadne. Yeah. Oh, no, then, yeah. he, then, he, then he runs off in Ariadne. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he, he runs off with a lot of... Then yeah. marries Ariadne's sister. Yeah. He is not cool. He's not cool. Yeah, we can... And we are totally sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> Theseus is not cool. That's the, <laughs> the bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, in, the, in Midsummer, we get examples of the fairies, and the main mm. three fairies we get to know, I mean, there's a couple ones who just have, like, little one-liners... They're Titania, mm. Oberon, so they're king and queen, and Puck. <laughs> and they're they're quite different. Mm. Mm. I think, yeah, what we were saying before of, like, Puck, he is referenced in the first meeting, is, like, I am that merry wanderer of the night. So Puck, Puck like, is Robin Goodfellow. So Robin Goodfellow was kind of, like, a very big figure at the time of, mm. like, so he would be this kind of mischievous, like, ooh, who who took some of my milk? And one of the fairies actually has this whole monologue where it's like, you've skimmed the milk. It's like you've, like, ruffled up some, like, maidens <laughs> or something like that. So it's kind of a bit bit weird. But, uh, ruffled up so, some yeah, maidens. So it's kind of like, oh, Stop yeah. Stop what the kids know, are calling class, these you know, <laughs> so I know. But it's kind of, so it's like these minor disturbances, yeah, we'll say, in, in the force. Mischief. But, uh, yes, but then the concept of Puck kind of representing this very rural kind of domestic, just having the crack fairy yeah. with mm. the kind of courtly yeah. um, sort of ethereal wonders of uh, Oberon and Titania. And mm. you know, when Titania has this, like when they have the fight, she's like, oh, well, if you will dance in our fairy rounds and if you will engage basically in our sort of courtly mm. manner. So she's kind of establishing the fact that these fairies have a very kind of sophisticated way of, you know, Dude, having their revels. And yeah, exactly. So Puck is kind of, this handyman yeah. or henchman in he's, a very he's the wild, real way. He's the wilderness. He's mm. the the unsophisticated rawness. Mm. And yes, they are. Uh, the Marquis of Carabas. <laughs> <laughs> any Neil Cayman fans out there? <laughs> he's like the little hitman. He's just like, oh yeah, just I'll do any any odd jobs. Yeah. I'll do them for you. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Puck is Puck's incredibly powerful. Yeah, he yeah. is a he's a servant of Oberon and mm. sort of bows to Oberon's will. But it sort of seems for much that he's choosing to that if Puck. Or at least my reading of it is if Puck decided he wanted to take Oberon's yeah. throne, he could. I mean, he mm. can put a gargle around yeah. the earth in 30 minutes. He can yeah. do all this stuff. And but Ob- then also, he wouldn't, because it's no fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, Oberon has a lot of political power, but yeah. we don't actually see him do much on his own. Yeah. But yeah. it's kind of interesting as well, because like what we were um, saying of like Puck having this power, but I do think as well, what we were kind of discussing earlier is that the fact Oberon is kind of seen as this like shadowy, Puck calls him the Prince of Shadows or, and then Oberon has this line where he's like, we are spirits of another sort. So it's kind of like these little nuggets of, ooh, Oberon's kind of sinister and he's kind of, That'd be scary, an amazing you know? thing to have on a business card. Yeah. Hi, I'm <laughs> Prince of Shadows. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm a businessman of another kind. Yeah. <laughs> it does sort of be them being different forces. Like Titania, yeah. she wants to care for the child. She is quite nurturing. Mm. She's sort of the, the nice side of the fairies. Whereas Oberon seems to be much more dark, much more yeah. foreboding powers. And when they're together, they're sort of you know, yin and yang. They yeah. work well. Mm. But when they're in discord, things go... Yeah. Mad and oh god, the way Oberon Oberon treats Titania not too well. Oh yeah, crap. Yeah, like <laughs> oh just, yeah, just a bit of drugging, you know. Yeah, nothing, yeah. Nothing just like, mild drugging, just mild drugging just of your blackmail, just and, um, a little roofing, you know. And like you can sleep with someone else. And just a mild roofing. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. It's just completely. Yeah, and like, like what you're saying, like it's completely. In the end, it's kind of like oh everything's fine, and you have the boy now, or we're sharing the boy now, and you know. We're gonna it's go kind in. of that's left really kind of weirdly inconclusive. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sort classic of classic Shakespeare. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the big a big thing's like as soon as Oberon decides 
to his way of getting the boys, he's going to drug Titania. He sends Puck off with this magic flower uh, that when the droplets fall in her eyes, mm-hmm. the first thing she sees, she'll fall madly in love with to mm. a sort of an obsessive degree that she won't care about anything else. And that's when Bottom gets pulled into her plot. <laughs> Which the, the actual line is, Be it ounce or cat or bear, pard or boar with bristled hair, when thou wakest it is thy dear, wake when some vile thing is near. So, so they decide the most vile um, thing, they decide the most vile thing they can find is Bottom the Weaver. Oh, and, but, he's, <laughs> but he's not quite bad enough, so they transfigure him so he has the head of a donkey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has no idea this is going on. And yeah. he, he just, he, he's not the brightest blessing. But also, <laughs> it's not specified by Oberon to tell Puck to do this, which is quite interesting. So Puck is basically like, this will be gas if like, yeah. I get, if I turn this lad into a donkey <laughs> yeah. head. You know, not a full donkey. That just would be, the head. That would be ridiculous, <laughs> you know. Plotum has no idea what's going on. Oh, he yeah. just thinks he's got lost in the woods. And suddenly there's this beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Who, and he, he's got a lot of confidence in himself. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, of course she's into me. Mm-hmm. But she becomes classic man. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but while she while she's adoring bottom, no, she, don't apologize. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No man apologizes. She yeah. loses any interest in the boy, mm-hmm. and so Oberon just comes up and goes, "Can I have him?" And she goes, "Oh yeah, sure. I've got I've mm-hmm. got this thing, this beauteous donkey creature mm-hmm. to yeah. play with." And as soon as he can have the boy, Oberon loses any interest in him, mm-hmm. yeah. which is sort of that the boy was very much a, a point scoring system. Oh yeah, for him. Yeah. It seems like a really yeah. healthy, you know, functioning <laughs> the relationship. Of, the whole thing with the flower, like, it brings up so many, mm. like, connotations. Yeah. As mm. well, of kind of deflowering of yeah. virginity. But they refer to it as the, the flower that men call love and idleness. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. that kind of, like, the flower, and then, like, the obsessive love from it. Yeah. And it kind of links back to that kind of the... So basically, at the time, they were all or people in Shakespeare's time were governed by like the the humors, and if you were yeah. like in any way led the astray, the wandering room, yeah, the womb. wandering wombs, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, the kind of thing of like if anything sort of affected anything to do with your humors, you were completely like out of balance. So mm-hmm. and then this, you needed leeches. Yeah, so then you basically need to just be drained. So women were actually seen as very leaky creatures. They were seen to be colder. leaky as an unstanched wench. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, That's so uh, terrible. yeah, so like anything to do with like yeah, there's just like a really kind of creepy reference to women and upsetting. It's the like the, the fickleness yeah. of like the the female mind. Oh and... yeah, yeah, and they're completely changeable because like anything yeah. you do in any way, even with this like extremely powerful love potion, it's like yeah. gonna change her because she's a woman. Yeah. Right. yeah, but the love potion it gets used on two men as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and also it doesn't get taken off Demetrius in the end, oh, yeah. which Whoops. not to be a Demetrius apologist because he also does say he's going to rape uh, Helena pretty much. So uh, yeah, so he's not a good guy. But yeah, he's not taken out of the curse at the end, which is uh, quite interesting. Oh, and like Helena's and oh my god, the, just the language they use. Oh yeah, a living, like but, demeaning yeah. themselves. Yeah, it's like yes, treat me, but as your spaniel, spurn yeah. me, strike me. Yeah, but it's. I mean, if anyway. it's all safe, sane, and consensual, but I don't think it is in this case. No. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. It's like but, uh, I'm nothing, and I worship yeah. you. It's like, it's like my favorite yeah. line is when she's like, "I am as ugly as a bear." <laughs> like we all feel that sometimes, yeah. Helena. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. I'm not team Helena. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Or like, let's not create divides between women. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in team Helena against Demetrius. Completely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Let's go for it. She needs to go out there, be on her own, 
Mm. Learn to love herself. Yeah. Mm. Maybe not on the fairy realm, because that's yeah. where, like, bad <laughs> yeah. things happen. <laughs> yeah. Don't eat the food. Just don't go there. Don't eat the yeah. food. Don't fall asleep where no one can drop anything into your eyes. Yeah, or your ears. Bad Oof. things. Yeah. 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 Just, just stay away. Stay <laughs> just away from the woods. <laughs> Anybody listening, don't go to the fairy realm, please. <laughs> Try your best. Yeah. yeah. Stay stay away from hawthorn trees. Yeah. And woods. And twilight. <laughs> and full moons. <laughs> I'm just twilight the book. <laughs> No, oh, yeah, well, that Read that it. goes without saying. <laughs> Early nineties, uh, stay out of wells. Do we see many examples of Titania's magic? Because we we see well, we see Oberon commanding Puck. Yeah, but do we see many examples of Titania using her? magic? I suppose we don't really. I suppose we she see more. She kind of delegates a lot. I was gonna say yeah. yeah we see like um when she's with a bottom, she kind of is like cobweb, mustard seed, yeah. please bottom, please bottom, yeah, like you know, tend to my man basically. Ready but, and I. Yeah. And but we don't really. So I suppose that's why it is a nice analogy to have her alongside Hippolyta because mm-hmm. Hippolyta is sort of seen as this figure and the Amazons are very kind of well they're kind of a really cool figure in literature at the time mm-hmm. so they're seen as like these warrior women they're strong they're powerful so I suppose having them side by side shows that she is a warrior woman in this realm and she is like an equal leader but yeah this play completely subverts the notion mm-hmm. of her being a strong leader because of the mm-hmm. whole she's able to be taken advantage of yeah, yeah. yeah. I just think it's interesting that the two the two fairy monarchs mm. you'd have seen would be very powerful. We never actually see them use their power themselves. They just mm. tell other people to do things. Yeah, yeah. which is a very uh, common trait with yeah. magical figures yeah. Yeah. in Shakespeare. What I find interesting about that is that their their power seems to be so intrinsic to like how the world works mm, that they yeah. don't even need to kind to of use it to yeah. use it because mm. it's it's inherent it's like gravity or it's like the wind it's just there well I think that's kind of goes into the whole I think it's just like any sort of modern or concept of power is that once you have to you know exert your power you've lost your kind of power so the fact that they kind of just exude this authority people automatically just you know resonate towards it so I think Mm -hmm. like you know if someone in everyday life is just like oh yeah like fake it till you make it kind of thing (laughs) it's like oh yeah cool I know what I'm doing and people are like yeah great so it's kind of that sort of thing of yeah, they don't. There's no moment where she's like, boom, and I like change something or I like turn someone into mm. something. But uh, which I think is kind of interesting with Puck, mm. the fact that yeah, Puck does all yeah, the work. We see Puck do yeah. a lot of stuff. He mm. he like flies strange places. He turns men into beasts. Yeah, yeah. He also seems to care, which is kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Like I think it's kind of which links to Ariel. He has this kind of like to... oh dang yeah. moment. He's kind of like <laughs> oh like he, he's sort of. He is above the mortals. He thinks, ah, oh, what fools yeah. these mortals be. Mm. But he does, he stays around and watches what are the repercussions mm. of what he's done. Mm. And I mean, admittedly, he has to be told by Oberon at one stage, you twit, go fix that. Yeah. He kind yeah. of like does but root he, for the happy ending. Yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. Just, he, he's like, the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> he wants him to end in marriage. Yeah. He's, he's been told, you know, go put this love juice in the eyes of blah, 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 blah. He's of, uh, li- of, or of, of he thinks, oh, in Demetrius, yeah. Yeah. but he accidentally does Lysander. Yeah. 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 But he's sort of, he's wandering by and he's like, Oh, you're you're having a bit of a spot. You yeah. know, anything's better. He's like, this gal is really nice. Why aren't yeah. you in love with her, Demetrius? Yeah. What the hell? And then he's like, whoops, Lysander. So, yeah. I think I think Puck is kind of like not too bothered with like, he's like, oops. But he's yeah. kind of like, instinct is to yeah. help in the first yeah. place. Which goes very back to sort of, he is the, the folk fairy. Mm, exactly. And folk fairies were very much, they had a very strong idea of fairness, of you mm. give and take. Yeah. And how things have to be balanced. Yeah. And there's lots of folklore about, you know, if you do, if you're not a good person, like this, the, the Irish story of Tygo Cain, who was basically mistreating women. Yeah. And the fairies came and put a corpse on his back and said, until you mend your ways, 
Jesus. We'll be doing stuff to you. I love yeah. they do that to a few people now. Yeah. It's not really yeah. great. Yeah. Like, or even yeah. like them having to obey the law of balance, like mm. with the two who they done yeah. and give and take. Give and, and take, mm, yeah. Make a promise. Uh, but sort of Puck being the rural fairy of sort of trying to make things right and make sure people make amends for the things. Yeah. Whereas Oberon and Titania, they're a bit more concerned about their own relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Which is interesting though as well because their relationship, like we said, affects this ecosystem. Mm. So maybe they're like, well, if our relationship is fixed, this whole ecosystem will be fixed. So I know they're obviously being selfish, but it's kind of like that other layer of like they know that they affect a much wider yeah. range of people than they than just themselves. Mm. So it's kind of like we need to fix this because everyone else is like affected. But yeah. I don't know, they're probably being selfish mm. <laughs> at the end of the day. And you mentioned that this is, in many ways, Shakespeare's most original play because he was he was notorious for stealing plots and things from well, other people. Well, it's not stealing. <laughs> it's like, well, in, it's... Good artists not... borrow, great artists steal. Yeah, yeah, but it's kind of like the concept of the time of, like, obviously, it's not... It's probably not, like, I would say his most original, but more, like, he. it's one that can't be... There's like certain plays that can be like literally traced to other sources, like um, Romeo Holland, and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet is is a play, or like Holland Shed wrote Henry the Eighth, so it's literally like passages copied and pasted, pretty much um, <laughs> classic Shakespeare. But yeah. it's kind of like the whole concept of like this. It, it was a very collaborative time, so the writers were talking to each other, writers were writing with each other. Um, so it was that's why I think a lot of scholarship it's kind of annoying. It's annoying to kind of just the whole thing of like plagiarism because of the era they had lots of sources and, and things so it's interesting with Minstow Bridge and that there's no there's as we as far as we know there's no one that's like it's exactly this yeah. so it's just mm-hmm. interesting to see how he took like folklore and yeah like, and he like he drew up in sort of Stratford which is you know mm. it's, it's by a river there's woodlands yeah so this would have sort of probably been the stories he was mm. listening to because they probably had a local story because yeah. yeah. even though it's set in Greece the folklore and the, the the mythos of it feels quite English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of pastoral kind of themes through a lot of his plays, or even, mm-hmm. which is quite nice because, yeah, then again, it links a sense of place. Actually, it's interesting that the there's a play called The Two Noble Kinsmen, and it was written kind of around 16, 1615, but it's actually seen as Shakespeare's last play. I thought that was um, The Tempest. Yeah, a common misconception. Well, it's kind of, as far as we know, so it's like the whole thing of like Shakespeare, we can't really know anything for sure. Like, let's be, <laughs> let's be real. It was 400 years ago. But um, so The Two Noble Kinsmen was written by Shakespeare and a playwright of the time called John Fletcher. Ooh. And it's actually interesting because The Tempest is kind of written around the same time but they can. They are more confident that it's two noble kinsmen that it was his last play. It's kind of not as nice to see it as the last play because it kind of has a weird ending. Um, I don't it's, know it's, it at all. It's it's really really interesting. It's basically like um, these two lads, Palamon and Arsite, and Arsite, Arsite, So I I say Arsite, Arsite, and there are these two lads, and actually it features uh, Theseus and Hippolyta as well. Oh, oh, That's yes. why it's kind of seen as Midsummer's Part Two, Ooh. which of course everyone's like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, for the purpose of this podcast, uh, it is Part Two. Uh, so Theseus and Hippolyta are basically we're gonna get married. Classic thesis in Abalda, always trying to get married. Gonna get <laughs> yeah. married. And then these One day you will yeah, get and these three women, it's like, ooh, kind of like three witches analogy, maybe not. They show up and they're like, Hey, we need to bury our husbands who've been like killed and Theseus is like, I have to go take care of this. And then meanwhile, there's these two lads and they're kind of locked up by Theseus because they were seen as kind of prisoners of war. Um, and they're like, Oh, we're bros, we're like, we're never gonna leave each other, we're we're best friends, and it's like cute. Um, and then they basically see this woman. 
Uh, uh, here we go. And her name is Amelia. And she's just walking by, you know, not minding her own business as usual. Um, she's walking by their window at the absolute cheek of her, like, yeah. um, just flaunting herself. Um, and they're both like, oh, my God, I'm in love with her. And it features my, I feel like it's the origin of this line. Um, I saw her first. Is an actual line in Shakespeare. I saw her, I saw her first, which I find hilarious. So the whole play is about the two of them being in love with her. And with five seconds ago, they literally are like, we are a mine into each other. We are each other's wives. We're each other's family. So five seconds later, they're like, I saw her first. What and happened so- to bros before hoes? Exactly. Yeah. And then this whole play is about the two of them fighting over her. And obviously there's like a whole plot line. But um, it's seen as that because she there's a lot of similar plot lines between Hermia as the woman and then the jailer's daughter is this, this kind of girl character who breaks one of them out of jail mm. and she's kind of seen as a Helen Helena character because she gets lost in the woods mm. and she actually has all these amazing monologues but she has a lot of these lines about wolves and being eaten by wolves and then Helena has all these monologues where she's like oh like I'm alone in the forest and like this is crap and you've left yeah. me Demetrius. <laughs> And the jailer's daughter is like, oh, I'm going to be eaten by a wolf. Great. So it's kind of a fun analogy to see between the two plays. So, yeah, that's a, a nice little end. Again, Theseus and Hippolyta, they get they get married in the end. And Amelia is a is Hippolyta's sister. And she's also a, like a oh, badass Amazon mm-hmm. woman. Nice. Yes, yeah, so that's a nice little, uh, little side mm-hmm. note there. Yeah. Yeah. But the what most people who don't have your Shakespeare studies would say Shakespeare's last play is The Tempest mm. and that features fairy like figures yeah it's a lot of the supernatural it's, it, yeah. it's a very supernatural thing it's Ariel yeah uh, who when I hear the name Ariel I'm afraid I always not the little mermaid <laughs> I love your world oh no that was terrible I wanna be where the people are <laughs> oh my god I wanna see oh. wanna see him oh. so Ariel we'll is justice yeah. I is Ariel a fairy or a spirit? Because Oberon says we are spirits of another kind, mm. but he's clearly a fairy. Yeah. Ariel is normally described as a spirit, spirit of the yeah. air. But are they a fairy? Well, it's kind of like in... So in The Tempest, they're basically... It's set in an island, and it's mm. sort of this like nondescript island. Um, and uh, Prospero basically says that um, to, to Ariel, who's like Prospero, is like this man marooned on an island with his daughter, and Ariel is not determined exactly... He's he's kind of determined by Prospero's words and we we're kind of talking about mm. that sort of Prospero mm. naming things mm. um, and Prospero basically in the beginning is like Ariel go do go go do the stuff I tell you to do and I have a plan and I'm going to get revenge and I've shipwrecked my enemies Ariel is sort of enslaved yeah pretty much yeah. so Ariel, Ariel doesn't really care about what Prospero's doing yeah. he just wants to get out well it's kind of an interesting one yeah because like the whole it's set in like over a day and Prospero's like do this stuff Ariel and Ariel's like yeah but you said you would free me and then uh, Prospero gets really annoyed and he's like you know, don't you remember where you came from? And Ariel's like, oh yeah, I was actually, um, and Prost was like, you were enslaved in a tree. Uh, basically, you were entrapped in a tree by Sycorax, who was the, the basically the witch overlord of the island, um, who is erased from the play, who is yeah. we'll talk briefly more about she's, in she's, another episode. Yeah, she's only like, she's like, oh, but she's a hag, she's this, yeah. she's that. It's never like... But who was she? Yeah, so she was seen as yeah. the mother of Caliban, who's also Prospero's slave. So this is really nice kind of um, symmetry between Ariel as this beautiful, ethereal spirit. Um, very airy. Very airy and very, like, you know, gorgeous. And then Caliban as this, like, very earthbound, 
like a, a lot of when rock. you when you directed it, he was actually a rock monster. Yes. <laughs> Side note: Have directed the Tempest. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the, thing, for this. on the the topic of Prospero naming things, there's a lot yeah. of in fairy magic and a lot of magic of the power of the name that if you know the yeah. name of a creature the true mm. name you can command them mm-hmm. that was especially in fairies where it's like yeah. fairies didn't give out I think that is that Irish folklore or is like yeah. it's, it's sort yeah. of it's, a lot of fairy lore yeah. that if you, if it's you like know Celtic tr- mythology yeah. Yeah. if you know the true name of a thing you will be able to command it yeah, yeah. And since Prospero seems to be naming things, mm. possibly maybe his control over Ariel is by finding Ariel's true name. Yeah. And it's yeah, the whole thing of, like, the the fact that like, someone did a really lovely study of, like, the soundscape of the island and how, mm. like, before Prospero came there, there must have just been, like, obviously the sound of, like, the sea and blah, blah, blah but, like, the shrieks of Ariel. And there's mm. this really, gore- like, horrible line where it's, like, you know, maybe it was, like, the crying of Caliban, but, like, the shrieks of Ariel, as, mm. like, they're entrapped in this tree. And I just thought that was a really beautiful sort of image of like mm. is Prospero driven by like uh, kind of willingness to help or is he driven by like I want to enslave and like what colonize yes, yeah. like, <laughs> colonize these people you know Ariel's gender yeah uh, Ariel is well at the time of Shakespeare all actors were male yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, in so, England yeah so it's, it's very interesting that like in Spain and like France, France and a lot of they were actually there were yeah. women on the stage so it was only England um, yeah, they had a law against had, it you couldn't they had a woman yeah. on the throne but you couldn't put a woman on the stage <laughs> yeah because acting act women were uh, yeah. uh, which is very interesting because like women of negotiable affection yeah <laughs> like of the time where like women in England were actually given a lot more leniency in terms of like everyday things which is mm-hmm. why kind of coupled with that like concept of uh, not being on the stage because mm-hmm. it's you know you're basically going to pour yourself out on stage of course mm-hmm. <laughs> as we yeah. all know yes um, that is why we all did a four year degree <laughs> yes <laughs> theater yes um, but obviously that would be a really cool topic for another day but yeah Ariel's gender is kind of it, um, there's a lot of like up and down in terms of casting Ariel because mm-hmm. Ariel is uh, referred to in the play as um, Ariel and all all his quality um, so his uh, obviously kind of denoting um, sort of male identifying gender in this um, in this sort of instance, but throughout history, Ariel has been kind of mm. they're seen as very much like a changeable thing. So mm. like yeah, in the restoration period, mm. it was uh, Ariel was generally cast female. Yeah, which was partly a way mm. of showing off ladies' legs. Yeah, yeah. it was like <laughs> called the breaching. Uh, so they basically <laughs> put these women in, in trousers, just yeah, exactly to show off their legs because you know sexism. Yay! Yay! <laughs> And that then like yeah. more and then there was like a period I think yeah probably like nineteen late early nineteen hundreds probably getting dates wrong but where like men would play Ariel because they would have there was a very prominent I think ballet dancer he was like oh, yeah. really athletic mm. and he was played he played Ariel a lot so and then it was a, a move to playing Ariel as this like really athletic male mm. dancer yeah, kind of thing contemporary Ariels tend to be quite androgynous yeah almost agendered yeah, yeah. I would say they don't yeah. really want well, to Ariel yeah. is sort of a spirit so without yeah. A, yeah. a physical form so which without, I think is yeah. nice because it's like you don't spirits you don't have to gender yeah. everything yeah. <laughs> you know? well, it's interesting looking at Ariel as kind of like the feminized masculine yeah as um, well because you kind of see Prospero taking over this island, which is ruled by Sycorax, who's mm, a woman, and then yeah. taking over Ariel. And kind of his treatment of Ariel, even though he's referring to Ariel as male, tends yeah. to be quite like domineering and kind of like, I am the strong man and yeah. you're the weak, flighty spirit. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's very much like uh, all the all Prospero's, like we don't really see much of his, like again, of what we were talking about, we don't really see much of his power 
we see his power through Ariel. Where yeah. Ariel he commands Ariel yeah. to create the tempest of the title. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And Ariel to do the various magic-y... Make the, magic-y make the kind of the mask yeah. sequence. Make, make the person go to this yeah. place and do the thing. And <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's really interesting as well, like the concept of like how Ariel's magic works is very mm. interesting to kind of uh, like... Um, it varies a lot yeah. through contemporary performance. Like, is it is Ariel sort of like, like can Ariel do something him him or herself? Yeah. Or does Ariel have to be asked to yeah, do something? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or like, there's a really cool production I was I was reading about where um Prospero is like a magician or he's like a like a stage magician and yeah. Ariel is like his fabulous assistant. <laughs> so it's kind of like you know, but, but that's the concept of like yeah. that magician is like that the fabulous assistant. Is the one, is doing, the the one doing all the work because they look so they're like I'm just here I'm so hot but yeah, like but actually, actually they're contorting themselves so that the fake legs and the box yeah come so out they're but the work. magician is the one who's actually doing all the like showmanship yeah uh, I'm doing air quotes because this is a podcast <laughs> but uh, the fact that the assistant is like I'm doing everything but you think I'm just here for show yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's pretty much Ariel in my in my view yeah but I think Ariel is really cute as well because you know. Um, there's this whole bit at the end where like um, Prospero is like oh you know do all this stuff for me and then Ariel's like I think Prospero says like do you pity them or like you know because Prospero mm-hmm. is like this whole plan to get back at his, mm-hmm. his like the people who've done him wrong and Ariel's like you know or my my affections turn like turn or go for them and uh, Prospero's like what and he's like well mine were what they what I hum- what I were human I'm completely like bastardizing mm-hmm. his lines but it's like you know if I were human I would feel for these creatures mm-hmm. because I think what you're doing is actually quite harsh. So I just thought that was yeah. like a really lovely little like nod to giving Ariel a sense of personality or a sense yeah. of right and wrong. Yeah. Sort yeah. Of, which is, I, which I, which I think, I think you see in Puck as well with the whole kind of like, whoops. But um, I think, I think Puck, Puck is a lot more playful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ariel is quite serious. Yeah. I think you can play, yeah, Ariel is, but, sorry, but I think, yeah, you yeah, think it is a lot more serious yeah, in the well, text. Uh, Puck, ha- Puck has a sort of a mischievous glint and while Ariel can be playful there's mm. not that sort of that sense of yeah. that twinkle but there's like that Ariel sense of, kind of has the drive of like like if I free. do this yeah. I'll get out yeah. I'll yeah. get out and that's like their motivation yeah. Yeah. Puck, to do really. these things Ariel whereas Puck is, is just like I'm having the crack yeah. Yeah. Puck wants to do well for his master yeah. Ariel is yeah. enslaved to yeah. his master yeah. Puck is serving by choice yeah. yeah, because this seems like a lot of fun which is yeah. really interesting because the Simon Russell Beale played Prospero in the most recent RSC version which is kind of cool they did a lot with like technology and which kind of worked kind of didn't mm-hmm. but um, uh, Simon Russell Beale actually played Ariel I think in an RSC production like a good few years ago and apparently that Ariel was very very bitter and very mm-hmm. like I'm doing this because I have to. to. So, yeah. Whereas other times, a lot of, like, even in the last, um, like, we say when, like, Ariel is freed, spoiler, um, in the end, uh, Ariel <laughs> it's is... It's been out for 400 yeah. years. I don't yeah, think on, it's lads. a spoiler. But uh, Ariel is freed and, like, you know, um, there's this kind of gorgeous sense in a lot of productions of, like, hesitation and, like, you know, be free, my chick, or and Prosper calls Ariel my chick, which is quite a, you know, um, sort of, of the time, a term of endearment. So it's, it's kind of like... Yeah, does, you know, it, is there a genuine affection there sort of thing? So Ariel and Caliban, they're both the, sort mm-hmm. of the two supernatural creatures yeah. on the island. They're both enslaved by Prospero. Yeah. Do they ever, I think they have briefly some scenes together, but the, yeah. there's not much sort of relationship between mm. them that's shown. It's kind of, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of kind of like contemptuous speech. Yeah. Mm. Um, But like said 
to other people though never yeah, yeah. I think like yeah exactly they're, they they're, they would talk over each other but I don't think even like Caliban ever really mentions Ariel but I also love the the concept of Caliban being like of the island and being like he has this like gorgeous speech where he's like you know be not a fear the isle is full of noises sounds and sweet airs mm. that give delight and hurt not so Caliban is really like imbued with this beautiful mm. sense of place and Ariel is always trying to like break Ariel free. Is constantly on so Ariel's sort of movement and Caliban's yeah. stillness. So Caliban is very much like attuned to what's going on and very much around the island, and so is Ariel. So I think they're both very intuitive creatures um, mm-hmm. that have been enslaved by a man. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Colonialism, Yay. patriarchy. What else can we get in there? Uh, um, is there any Marxism? Yes, of course oh, there is. Of course, <laughs> Marxism. Sexism, classic. Uh, I suppose like um, like there's like this whole really interesting theory of like Ariel and like Miranda mm-hmm. and Ariel and Caliban. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff about Ariel and Mar- or Miranda and Caliban because of the whole like, oh, you tried to like you know attack my child kind of thing. But anyway, um, yeah. but like the whole Ariel and Miranda is that like is family you know not like a family dog, but is it like a family relationship? Well, or I'm, is it, like, I'm convinced that. Caliban is Prospero's son. Oh yeah. yeah, that's a cool concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be it. But like, yeah, like the, what? What does Miranda think of Ariel? Because I think definitely it's Ariel is invisible to Miranda a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like does I? I kind of feel like Miranda would know, but I feel like sometimes it would be like your dad's business partner, your dad, yeah. your dad's best your dad's friend. Colleague. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the Roman bandits. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's best friend um, plays in the background the whole time um, but yeah no I, I don't know I just I think it's kind of an, I think it is nice production to production to kind of mm. work on that mm-hmm. so yeah we've sort of come to the end of our time here Kate is there anything if you want to look up more work on Shakespeare or more work that you are doing on Shakespeare and you know they could find you um, well all my work obviously but uh, no I think there's a lot of really good scholarship around um, Shakespeare and fairies but there's a really good um, article by Farah Krim Cooper on the British Library website so I think if you just type in um, it's like Farah and then K-A-R-I-M and C-O-O-P-E-R Farah Krim Cooper um, she's a really good article on fairies um, in Midsummer's and then if you just, um, probably a lot of stuff with Stephen Orgel or Stephen Greenblatt do a lot of really, James Shapiro does a lot of really interesting books um, about Shakespeare or Tiffany Stern. Um, I'm probably just like blanking on every, everyone ever. But like, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. I would definitely check out Farah's work. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have been Tales from the Shadows. I have been and still am Emily Collins. Um, as far as I know, I am Shanani Nulon. And uh, I am Kate Bauer, who is hopefully not an ethereal being. And is well, I don't know, you're, pr- you're pretty ethereal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you moved to London. <laughs> you're gone forever. So ethereal. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, if you ha- want to get in touch with us, we'd love it. You can get us on Twitter at Tales Shadows. Again, our theatre company is called Tales from the Shadows. The podcast is Sounds from the Shadows. It gets confusing because the social media came first. Facebook, we are Tales from the Shadows. Instagram, we are Tales from the Shadows. If you want to rate, review, subscribe. Please do. Yeah, that, please do. Some people already have, and thank you so much to those who already have. It, it really makes yeah. us all smiley. The reviews have all been really lovely, and we're really happy. Yeah. And oh thank my God, you. reviews, please. Yes. So, <laughs> keep safe. Watch out for the fairies. Yeah.